Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and this is our flagship show, Coaching Kernan, and I'm here with the star of that show, Kevin Kernan. Uh, Kevin, welcome back to your show here. Uh, two great articles. I'll, I'll let you I'll say a little to our audience first, but I want you to talk about those two articles you wrote the last week. They were phenomenal here, but welcome back to your show. Thanks, Dave. Basically, um, I, I dealt with the whole um, injury problem in baseball and how they how they stopped running and everything else and uh, and it's created all these problems it's very detailed and the baseball people who got back to me were off the charts because it's 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 so common sense they just don't run anymore i mean every day you're seeing like two or three uh pulled hamstrings with teams and uh, yankees have four guys out with hamstrings so um i did that and then i also did the mind game of baseball uh with our friend Dr. Kurtick, and uh, that that got incredible. Matter of fact, someone who was at a tournament in California, their team had lost two or three. Uh, scout, I know uh, his granddaughter plays, and he he actually showed that article. Everyone in the team read the article, and the, everyone on the team is ordering the book. So, um, you know, there's mind games, there's everything in baseball, and that's what we try to do: build a better ball player. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Dr. Ickes is phenomenal, and I thought the two of you together. You know, with the the times he's been on the show was great, but I think you, you just put an icing on the cake there with that article with him. That was well. That was one cool. thing I want to do was the physical part of the game, and then the mental part, and I think that's what we dealt with two different yeah. columns. Yep, the, the mental part gets untouched. Uh, you know, we see all these kids going to swing coaches and throwing coaches and every other coach, but they deal very little with the mental part of the game. So, well. With our audience now, before we get to our special guest, it's a repeat guest, so I'll keep the preamble short on him. But just want to thank our 18,600-plus subscribers as of this morning. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we're battling the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher is the way to get us. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Actually, and Twitter. Hit us up on all those. I answer one question a day on Facebook, and I get back to everybody privately. I was not on it this weekend because I was at a basketball tournament. I apologize for my voice. I had to coach 16 games this weekend, and uh, two two of our teams made it to the championship game. So my, I'm happy that my voice is gone. It was used in a positive way. But uh, make sure you follow Kevin on Ball 9, two great articles a week. Uh, the guys at Ball 9 do a phenomenal job trying to promote baseball. We are in 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ. And as a reminder to our audience, says they, they, they put this on me. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths as this program, like all of our other programs, just has no time for the comfortable lies being pushed out in baseball. We're going to hit you right between the eyes with everything. So um, with that, I want to welcome back to our show, former Major League pitcher, um, Jared Cosart. Jared, welcome to, now you were on in our 190, so you're the quickest repeat guest we've had, episode 198 here. Welcome back to our show, Jared. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoy it. Yep. And, and for the audience, uh, Jared originally was on Man on Second with Joe Frazero, um, touched a lot of audience members. We had a lot of great response uh, to his show, and I was not on this weekend to respond to Facebook, so I have well over a thousand responses to do. So um, I'll have to thank Jared for that and Kevin's articles for that. So uh, people are really into what we're doing. So, um, Jared, I'll start you off and then pass you over to Kevin. Hopefully my voice lasts through the questions. But, um, you know, we talked a lot in the last show about your journey. Um, a lot about your thoughts in terms of pitching versus throwing, you know, a little bit about how you were evaluated and developed. But I, I kind of wanted to start this story in the middle. I know every story's got to start somewhere. Um, talk to our audience and share with our audience a little bit about um, your first major league start. Uh, the first one um, is definitely my most uh, memorable one of my career. Uh, just the, the surreal atmosphere, uh, the buildup, everything towards it. Just it, it was everything I had imagined and more. Um, I got called up. I was in uh, Round Rock, Texas. Um, I got the, uh, called into the office of Tony DeFrancesco. Um, really gave me a pep talk. And then I end up um, kind of going through the motions that day. And then he comes in and tells me I'm not pitching. 
And I was uh, very shocked. I was angry. I didn't know what was going on. And then after the game, obviously, he came in and said, uh, I was going to Tampa Bay. So that was a very, uh, I mean, it was a shock kind of with how everything was going. I know that the big league club wasn't playing very well, um, but I still, uh, I was caught off guard. Um, even though I was pitching well, it was a very big shock to me. Uh, I get out to Tampa Bay. I got to meet up with my family and everything and got an early dinner, try to get back to the hotel to get some sleep, which did not happen. Um, but I got a, a Twitter message about 1130 at night from David Price uh, telling me to uh, just take it all in, kid. It's uh, The first one is a special one, and you probably won't have another one like it again. Um, just enjoy it and good luck. So that really hit home. And I uh, laid there for another five, six hours, got up, went about my day, and made my way over to Tropicana Field. Um, we'll try to go through my normal normal warm-up routine with a huge lump in my throat the entire time, feeling like I, like I was going to vomit. Um, I threw about six warm-up pitches down the bullpen sideline area all the way towards the dugout at Tropicana Field. It's not a covered bullpen. It's right there on the third base line. So now I have veteran guys, coaches, uh, staff members looking down the railing going, well, hopefully this kid doesn't do this in the game, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, but all the nerves, all the excitement, everything they said uh, that it was, was, was very, very real. Um, I actually had Bud Norris tell me, uh, don't look up when you go into a major league stadium because that's the biggest difference between the major league and the minor leagues. And of course, just out of curiosity, I had to look up, and that didn't really make things better when I got out there. So I had a little bit of, uh, you know, extra dizziness. Like, wow, this is a huge stadium. This is, you know, then the heart starts going. And but once I threw that first pitch, uh, everything was kind of uh, back to normal, like it was in the minor leagues from there. And I ended up going uh, six and a third of no hit baseball. I think I made it through eight, around eight, eight and a third total. Um, ended up coming out watching Jose Veras save the game and I uh, got my first major league win and my first major league start. And, uh, I guess everything was downhill from there. <laughs> well, um, when, when you got called up, I mean, what, what was your first, who was your first call? Um, and then that, at the end of the game, did you get the ball? Yeah. I, my first call was to my parents. Um, obviously you know, no family in, in a time like that is usually the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, just the, the two people that were with me throughout the entire journey. And then I called my brothers after that, but mom and dad got a good cry. Uh, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, it's kind of as a, any player, it's just, it's what you're waiting for. Um, it's what you're hoping for. It's what you dreamed for. It's what's kind of, you, you, you know, sacrifice everything for. So that call to them was, was very, very special. And fortunately they were in a position, um, at the time where they could drop everything and, and be able to get out to Tampa and, my brothers were able to uh, to make it out there as well. And after the game, I got the whole Gatorade shower. I got shaving cream in the face by Jose Veras, which hurt very badly. Actually, it burned it burned a lot more than I was anticipating. Um, and then I got you know I got a game ball. I got the uh, the signed uh, lineup sheet. So it was a very very special moment. Um, I did not have another moment like that in my in my big league career. I had some I had some good games. Some some pretty some pretty good battles with some pretty big players, but um, you know, as far as one individual performance, that one definitely um, stuck with me, and still is still pretty fun to talk about today. Yeah, that's why I led with it. I I uh, I'd be proud of that as well. You went further than they let most guys go nowadays, right? Five five and a third is like a, a big long game for people. And you went deep into it first time out. What was uh, you know? You stepped on the mound. People gave you some advice. Don't look up. I mean. What do you do? You remember what was going on in your mind, your body, or was it just kind of out, outer body experience when you're? It was a, definitely an outer. I always had a little nervous excitement before every game, no matter the level, which I think is great um, for anyone. It means you're you're happy to be there, you're excited to perform. But this was just, I, I honestly, I, I've never vomited at a sporting event in my life, but that's what it that's what it felt like. I was just honestly thinking about don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. So then I guess the, the excitement and the, and the buildup was a lot more than, than a normal, just another normal game. So I was just, I was trying to keep my mind sidetracked off of mainly throwing up, to be honest. But then, yes, uh, I was fortunate um, that it was in Tampa as well. I didn't have to deal with 40,000 people. I think I was only dealing with like 12,000 at the time. So that made things um, a little bit 
better having, you know, I pitched in some triple A games where there was close to the same attendance. Um, so I was definitely, you know, a blessing, I guess you could say. Um, and then I ended up having to throw, you know, and you go throw in St. Louis or Wrigley Field on the 4th of July. Now that's that's a crowd. Um, so I guess I, I, I caught a little break as far as number of people there to kind of to lessen the blow of the the nerves. Yeah, but it's, it certainly didn't adjust the, the guys you were having to face at the plate. Those are still major league hitters oh, regardless. Yes. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I, from our first interview, I commented to you this off the air. I mean, you're very self-aware. Uh, you you see clearly, uh, you know, what you've gone through. You see clearly, you know, what you were as a player, and you see clearly who you are now. And that's, that's a gift. And that comes with um, just, I guess, having probably a good upbringing and a lot of good support around you. And you, you made mention that, it, you know, it was all downhill hill from there jokingly. And, and I asked this just kind of open-ended and, and kind of let you take it. What happened um, from that time? You say it was downhill from there. What was different? What, you know, I guess caused it to be, to go downhill? Yeah, I, I just think I was in, in comparison to that first game, you know, that, that's, I think what makes it tough on a lot of people. You, you come up and, and have a, a debut and you kind of set this precedence as a player and some it's it's different than others but i had that big prospect label and all these things you you know you're trying to live up to and then you set um expectations for yourself which i think is a huge mistake and by expectations i mean you know i want to i want to win this many games i want to strike out this many people i want to do this 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 and that and you kind of you know set that it's that or bust and so for many people it it becomes bust because you lose track of and you lose sight of how hard the game is um, on an everyday basis. So um, when I say downhill, obviously, um, you know, I, I talk about my entire career uh, based on the expectation I set. I did have a nice, I had a nice first two seasons. Um, I actually, I don't think a lot of people know. I, I won 14 games in uh, 2014 and I actually had the only pitcher that was better than me in the second half of the season was Madison Bumgarner. Um, so I know my name isn't a big name or anything, but I did have a very solid, uh, run for, you know, a, a two year stretch. And then obviously I got traded over to Miami from Houston and dealt with a number of injuries and, and other things and just, um, never was able to get back on track to those, those two seasons that I had kind of set as my own personal expectation for my major league career. Um, and I think that's, that's common with a lot of people you see a lot of pitchers come up and have successful debuts um and you know there's a lot of factors that come into that you know th those guys don't know you they haven't seen you um you have good stuff things like that i don't i don't think that takes away from necessarily that person being a good pitcher or not including myself but you do have some advantages it being your first start and then uh, as you guys know now with all the um data and everything that's available you know it gets harder and harder every single day, every single month and every single year um, to succeed. Yeah. Now, in a, and I'll mention quick to our audience too, uh, two things. One, you mentioned you're not a big name. You are a big name to our audience. That's why we had you back so quickly. Your first interview went so well, had a lot of great responses to it. Um, and so that's why we had you back on um, so quickly. So in, in our realm, which is a very intelligent audience and, and a lot of big people in the game, they wanted to have you back. So, um, your, your interview went that well. Uh, second thing to our audience too, if there's any, uh, breakup in, in the, uh, broadcast here, we're all remote. We're all on the road in different spots. So we apologize if there is anything, uh, with, with any breakup, we'll fix that as we go. But, um, so Jared, your, your first outing, obviously phenomenal. Um, there's no way you can maintain that pace, you know, for a career. So I, I kind of asked this, was it self-imposed expectations? Was it club expectations? Was it media expectation? Combination of all? I mean, what 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 caused that? You know, I guess that paradigm to occur. Yeah, I would say you know ninety nine percent was was self-imposed, and um, I think I don't know if it's something that's um, less controllable as you get to the big leagues because I I feel like during the minor leagues it was you know I was so locked in trying to just get to the big leagues. That's the main goal. It's like, I want to get there. I've dreamed my whole life. And obviously when you get there, you want to stay. So I don't know if I, I'm saying like, I got even more selfish <laughs> uh, when I got up there. I, I had that first game and I'm like, okay, like 
I, I want to do this consistently. Obviously, I know, like, as you said, six and a third no hitter, you know, constantly is is not reality at the major league level. But I said, OK. And then I see that I had a one point nine ERA after my first 14 starts. I was able to win 14 games my second year. I'm like, OK, like, I think I can be a top of the rotation guy. It was kind of like reinforcing you know, my thoughts when I first got called up from the minor leagues, like I can be a a high level rotation guy with the stuff that I have. Um, And then I I think that kind of actually makes you lose track of what you might need to work on because I was having success. And uh, I got caught up a little bit in that success. And I didn't realize I'm a starting pitcher at the major league level, having some success. I'm but I'm walking a lot of people. Um, you know, I'm basically a two pitch guy. I didn't throw my change up enough. So, you know, losing sight of small things like that can actually set you back a little bit during that time period of which you are having success. Is it so as, and I don't want to paraphrase it and oversimplify what you're saying, but maybe a message to the audience, the kids out there don't accept in victory, what you wouldn't accept in defeat. Right? That, if you were- that is perfect you know, for anyone out there, you have, no one's ever, and people say it all the time, no one's ever a complete pitcher. No one's ever a complete player. You always have to be learning, picking other people's brains, trying to get better, fixing, you know, your weaknesses, which even, you know, the best in the game, you look at a, you know, a Otani or a Verlander or whoever you want to talk about nowadays, you know, they are always trying to tweak something. Obviously it's a lot you know, less of an adjustment than, you know, someone fresh in the game or someone who's bounced up and down between AAA a few times, but they always are still learning and growing and trying to be better. And looking back at my career now, um, I wasn't doing that. And I'm, I'm also an advocate for like, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I, I do agree with that, but just because it's, you know, there is other pieces you can add to the car to make it better. You know, you can, you know, boost your profile. You can do things to make yourself a better player still, even when you are having success. With And you kind of alluded to what I was going to ask next, and I'll, I'll, I'll prompt you to, to kind of go a little deeper on Onyx. I think it's a, it's a great point uh, that you, you and only you can make. You around a lot of great people um, understanding, you know, there's, there's parts of the game you still got to grow with. If you were to say, um, pinpoint a mistake that you made that would have helped you grow in that, um, what would you say it would be? Talking to people. Um, and, and I kind of touched on that in our, in the last episode, it's just, and, and that's such a broad statement, but I truly mean that it's, it's a long season at any level. And now as much as these kids are playing the game, it's pretty much a year round event. There's not a lot of downtime. There's not a lot of time to reflect and to, and to maybe take a breath and think about, you know, what do I need to do to continually get better to improve? But I was just kind of going through my routine, my motions. I wasn't really in that learning state that I think everyone needs to be in. And maybe that was just me individually, but I I would be willing to bet that there's quite a few other players maybe that don't even know it that are going through it. But simple, I mean, ask other people about their routine, you know, how they throw pitches, what they go through, you know, you know, leading up to a start, during a start, thought processes, the mental side of the game, as you touched on in the introduction, all the things that aren't really or weren't really brought up in a day-to-day basis when I was playing. I don't know if things have changed now in the clubhouses, but it's definitely something that is extremely overlooked. I mean, I was just around so many great pitchers, and I think I touched on last time as well. You know, being alongside Jose Fernandez on a daily basis, being great friends and never asking a guy like that how he threw his fastball, how he threw his slider. You know, what am I thinking when I get in an 0-2 count against this guy? Or, you know, a a number of questions that you can ask. I think that's the number one thing that I would have um, changed, you know, from the time that I was playing. And uh, just for our audience, a reminder, you know, Jared spent time with the Astros, the Marlins, the Padres, the Phillies. Is that correct? That's the four? Yeah, drafted by, drafted by the Phillies, never any time in the big leagues with the Phillies, but the other three, yes, I spent time at the major league level with all three of those. And I want them to also know just what a, what a big-time prospect you were. You projected both as a pitcher, and as, as we talked off the air, probably could have been an even better outfielder um, with your arm and your, and your bat. So um, that's the kind of athlete that uh, that Jared 
was and still is. We're going to get into your pro-am basketball too. I, <laughs> I didn't forget about that. Um, so with, with your career now, uh, go kind of start at the beginning now when you got signed. Share with our audience this, this surreal moment of signing, what took place. I mean, you were drafted in the, in the 30s, the rounds, but you got second round money. So that kind of shares you had opportunities to go to college on scholarship. Was it, was it Stanford? I was, I got, yeah, Stanford was one of the recruits. I ended up committing to uh, Mizzou. I had Rice, uh, Vanderbilt, Stanford, Missouri, and a couple other. The Mizzou, actually, that's a pretty good story. Maybe I can touch on that later. Yeah, go right ahead. Touch on um, that one. So I had wanted to go to Rice my whole life. Um, obviously, now I kind of look back and say why, because of the number of shoulder injuries that were um, suffered throughout that really good stretch they had. But being a Houston kid, going to Rice baseball camp since I was eight years old, you know, Rice was was the bucket list. And I ended up actually, you know, making a you know a verbal commitment to Rice. And then um, I got a call from Wayne Graham leading up to signing day saying that, um, I basically, my money, my scholarship money was needed to give to Anthony Rendon, um, who turns out to be a, <laughs> he's a friend of mine and turned out to have a pretty, pretty nice career so far. And he's still doing it at a high level, but it's, you know, ironic, basically he, Wayne Graham said, your parents are going to need to pay for a chunk of your college for you to come here. Cause we have to give that money to Rendon. And, you know, I just felt undervalued at that point. And I said, no, thanks. And, you know, you start calling around that late in the signing period and you know Stanford of Vanderbilt and these other places they're like well we'd love to have you Jerry but we don't have any money so I kept making calls kept making calls and uh Tony Vitello who's now the head coach at Tennessee was the pitching coach up at Missouri and uh, he said oh heck yeah dude we can give you what you need and you know let's get you up to Mizzou so I ended up you know committing to Mizzou and it ended up not working out but it was a actually a pretty funny story <laughs> No, it's it's the way the recruiting world nowadays, and we didn't we didn't touch on that last time. But be, having college in your back pocket probably pushed you down a little bit with the draft because you could negotiate with that. But uh, share share the follow up story now. You got you got drafted. Uh, the, the the moment of negotiation. Who was in your living room, um, and and right up to how how they dropped you off at spring training. So there wasn't a lot of I think even the the Philly. I was a I was a gamble as a pick. Um, you know, I weighed 160 pounds, soaking wet, 6'3", and I'd, I ran it up to 97 off the mound and 101 from the outfield. So I think they were kind of taking the approach, like, let's just see if how bad this kid wants to sign. It was more a phone conversation early. I think they offered me a hundred grand, and, you know, I had a number. My family had a number in mind that would make, you know, make it worthwhile. So we just said, look, it's not even close. I'm going to college. And, you know, that was early. That was, I think, around June or I don't remember the exact date, but it was early. So I was just going about living my summer, um, playing American Legion ball with my close high school friends, trying to take in those last moments um, before I headed off to Missouri. I was up in Enid, Oklahoma at the uh, World Series for American Legion playing. And uh, it was a pretty, pretty funny moment. It was the day before signing day. You got the the Montgomery family. You have all these high profile front office people from the Philadelphia Phillies um, in Enid, Oklahoma, a very small town. And my dad, actually at the time, I didn't have an agent or an advisor. My dad is sitting up in the uh, outfield stands with you know eight to ten brass members from the Phillies. And I don't know what's going. At this point, I don't know what's going on. I already have my bags packed for college, and I was going to head up to Mizzou straight from Oklahoma. And uh, hopped over the fence after the game. I was playing right field that game. And my dad and mom came up and said, this is the offer. Do you want to take it? And it was a pretty much a no-brainer for me. Um, and I signed the papers, went back to Houston and packed my bags the next day. Um, flew out to Tampa, Florida. And uh, Clearwater is where my uh, minor league journey started. Nice. What was the, uh, what was the reception like when you got there? You know, when you're at, your, at your game there where they sign you, that's the honeymoon, right? They're there. Uh -huh. You've got all the big people up there, and you're probably thinking, like, this is going to be life. They're going to meet me at the door. To share oh. with our audience, these young kids, I want to get signed and what minor league, what the reception was like. Yeah, so <laughs> leading up to, to your signing, guys, everybody says, you know, it's this glamorous life, and, you know, you meet all these, you meet all these big-time scouts and maybe some ownership and things like that if you're, you know, if they think highly of you and then, 
you know, I hopped on a Southwest flight from Houston hobby. I landed at Tampa. Um, there's a guy named Dustin Han, who's actually still good, still a good friend of mine. He was a clubhouse manager for all the minor leaguers uh, over in Clearwater, and he had a sign with my name on it. Hopped in the back of a car and headed to the uh, good old La Quinta uh, Inn over in Clearwater on Gulf to Bay. And uh, he dropped me off, and I was 18 at the time. And I said, "Hey, man, what do, what do I do?" He goes, "I mean, live your life, man. I don't I don't know. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow at 7 a.m." <laughs> So that was my welcome to the minor leagues. Just, you know, got dropped off of La Quinta and you're, you're on your own. Southwest of La Quinta, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I like that. So I got one more for you. I'm going to pass it over to Kevin. Um, I'd be remiss, especially since I, I uh, talked about my basketball this weekend. Um, I know you're a heck of an athlete. Always have been. You have been. Um, you're, you're playing some pro-am basketball right now. Share a little bit about that. Yeah, so it, it was actually my way of staying uh, competitive after uh, baseball. I took about a year of, year off from from anything athletic wise. Obviously, doing normal lifting and working out, but I'd always loved basketball. My dad played basketball in junior college and for a year at Southern Illinois University. Um, so basketball's kind of in the blood. I played, you know, AAU ball growing up and. Uh, I actually was forced with the choice getting into high school. My coach said basketball or baseball. If you play basketball, you're not playing baseball. And, you know, that hurt very, very deeply. But, you know, at the time, obviously, I think I, even to date, I still think I made the right decision, clearly. But, uh, yeah, so I got in involved at Lifetime Fitness down down here. They're nationwide, but they have an Ultimate Hoops League, and they have a Pro-Am League, and then they have a Recreational League. So, I jumped in. A couple of my good friends uh, uh, played. Ray Kramer played at University of Nevada and played overseas. Um, they recruited me and got me in, and, and I just got hooked. So I'm now playing with the likes of you know some Donald Sloan, uh, Gerald Green. I just played against Kent Bazemore out in the tournament in Las Vegas. So getting to see some of these high-level guys from a different sports uh, it's pretty awesome as well. Just seeing, you know, the level of, of talent differential between, you know, what I'm used to seeing at the, the open league compared to these, you know, professional amateur tournaments from guys that have done it, you know, in at the high level D one level overseas and even in the NBA. Yeah. Those are some NBA names. So brag about yourself. How are you faring in the league individually? You know, I'm doing good. I'm an athlete. I, you know, I'm, I've, I've become a, I've become more of a three and D player kind of rebounder on, on my team. Um, because of, you know, the other guys are at a much higher level than I am, but, you know, I, I, I just like being able to, I can go into, you know, any gym across Texas or, you know, even around the country and I can, I can blend in. I know what I, I do well and I know, um, I know what I need to do to, you know, at least not embarrass myself. I can knock down, knock down shots when I'm open, play a little defense. Uh, you know, I still have the athletic ability to, to be able to get up and throw it down a little bit, get some rebounds and mainly just having fun. It's, it, I, I created a pretty good friendship with a group there and it's fun to see some of these guys that have just recently, I mean, Kent Bazemore was playing for the Lakers last year, I think. So yeah, it's pretty good to, to, to chop it up with some guys like that. And Donald Sloan lives in Houston. He's around the gym all the time. Um, just, you know, we, when we, we've had conversations now, even though I don't, you know, play at the, the major league level in baseball anymore, but just talking to him about the mental side of the basketball and um, kind of changing your identity from, you know, maybe being a, a scorer and a, you know, you know, an overall athlete in, in college at that level to, to becoming a three and D guy in the NBA and stuff like that. So those conversations have been pretty fun. Sounds like you're having fun. Is there a difference between what you're doing now, having fun now, or were you having fun playing baseball toward the end? Oh yeah. Just knowing that, you know, it is just, it's all fun now. It's, it's, there's no, I'm not going to the NBA. I'm not pursuing a basketball career. There's no stress. There's no pressure. And I wish I could have had a little bit more of this mindset when I was playing. So it's it, again, now for me, I, I, I think I said on the last episode, it's about more, more, how can I help, you know, even if that is a kid that's playing high school basketball, you know, how can I help, you know, the youth, the, the guys that are striving to go play in college and, and play at the professional level, whether that's basketball, baseball, football, whatever it may be. But uh, I think that's kind of where I'm at now is just, you know, how important that, that mental side is in, in, in the brain. It's, it's a very complex, very, very, very complex part of the human, human body, human nature. So 
any way I can help, that's kind of where I'm at now. And I'm, I'm kind of using both baseball and basketball as that platform. I think it's great. Doug. I'll pass it on. I'll pass it on to Kevin now. Jared, that, that was captivating. That was captivating. Great stuff. Thank um, you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to take you back to the, uh, the you were at the Futures Games. Tell me a little bit about that experience. That was, again, as a minor leaguer, you know, when you get that prospect tab slapped on you, automatically, I think, everyone wants to play in the Futures game. It's like there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be some studs there, and you're going to see how you stack up against the best of the best. Yeah, I was at the one that was one that uh, I think you were at the Angel Stadium and also Chase Field. I believe I was at both of those. And um, actually, I think if I remember back, George Steinbrenner passed away with the angels so i was very busy with that at the time <laughs> but, but did you make any friends there that lasted forever i wouldn't say that lasted forever but um my futures game gosh we had trout there bryce harper was there i mean there was just i think paul goldschmidt was there 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 was just a number of of really just amazing players that I was able to be around every like for a couple of days just to see like how they went about their business and everything like that. So that's really what more stuck with me is I played around some guys now that are, you know, the highest paid players in the game. And at the time to even be mentioned in the same breath as them, you know, it was, it was really, really, really surreal. And it's something I, I still have my jerseys. I still have all their autographs and everything hung up in the, in the office at home. So that's definitely one of my favorite, you know, minor league prospect moments. Oh yeah. I, I used to love going to the futures games. It was probably my favorite moment of the year other than the Cooperstown uh, doing that. But so you come in and you're at these future games and you see those hitters, you must be thinking, what am I getting into? Yeah. You know, in the minor leagues, you, you'll go around. I think at that time I was in high A, I was down in the uh, Florida state league. So you know, against the, 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 the array of teams down there, you'll see one or two, you know, you'll see one or two prospects in each lineup. But then you get out there to the Futures game and it's, you know, holy cow, all of these guys are the best players on their team, the best players in their organizations, the best of the best. Yeah, that's that's uh, that, that, that's something else. And then that Clearwater I wanted to ask you about, too. Jared, I think Kevin was asking about Clearwater. I couldn't hear it. Yeah, it cut out yeah. on me for a second. Yeah. Kevin, uh, we're, we're all remote here, different hotels, different parts of the country. I think he was trying to get about Clearwater. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh, clear, uh, Clearwater when, when I was playing there? What it was like with the experience of uh, playing in that city. That's that's a tough city for young people to come to, too, because there's a lot of good bars and things. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you touched on that. I I came into that city during spring training, and I was still you know underage. So I wasn't really able to experience anything. Good for you. Good for you. Along that, but when I was playing there in high A, when I was going to that futures game, I was twenty one. And yes, Clearwater, Tampa, St. Pete. Um, I don't think that's the best place for a college you know a kid fresh out of college to start the minor league career. I think they need to go to like a you know, Lakewood, New Jersey or Billings, Montana or something like that, just to get everything rolling. Um, yeah, Clearwater is Clearwater is a beautiful city. I had a, you know, I had a fun, fun group of guys there. I had a great coaching staff, um, good teammates. And obviously I spent two and a half years there just during spring training. So I got a lot of beach time, but yeah, definitely not a, not a, not a great place for, for someone to start the career. <laughs> no. And, and, and- you, you've been through a lot of teams, um, pitching coaches. Tell me about some of the pitching coaches that you had that made a difference for you. So I started with, um, I would say Steve Shrink was my low A pitching coach in um, Lakewood, New Jersey. He really did a good job of just kind of the intro. I think he's in AAA with the Mets now, but just the intro to what minor league ball is going to be like. His was just more trying to, his was just more of ever, keeping everybody calm. Say that again. 
I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to let Dave take over because I'm cutting in and out, and like I, I can't really do it the way I want to do it. Yeah, we got we got a lot of kickback, and we're all remote here. Uh, you were talking about Clearwater a little bit, Jared, in terms of distractions, maybe as opposed to to different sites. Expound upon that for kids, and you know, obviously the kids can guys that get drafted, they can. You know, they can put blinders on, so to speak. But talk about the mental part of that game. We were on the field. Now you're off the field. You're talking about certain distractions yeah. for young guys. What what advice would you give to a young guy going into a situation like that? Yeah, it, it's very hard. Um, it's the balance of life. It's the balance of even if you get out of college and go get a job. It's like I have a job to do. And how well do I want to do that job? Um, I mean, you. I do 100% think that you need to have that balance between enjoying your time and having fun and then work but you have to realize that you're going to have a lot more time at that field a lot more time in that weight room a lot more time in that video room than you are you know off the field i, I would say you know as a, as a young kid high school college going into the pro ball ranks it's like enjoy those cities you know i'm not go to the bars enjoy that time but um, do it on the off days, do it on the days, you know, don't let it become an issue where it can start affecting your performance, especially if you're, I mean, Hey, if you're a guy from a small town or if you're a guy that's been sheltered in high school, you know, that's kind of where, where I was, I, I wasn't out. I didn't really know a lot. And then you're thrown into Clearwater, Florida and you see, you know, the women there and the bars there and the opportunities in, in other you know areas there, it's going to be a, a shock to you. And it's going to, it's probably going to be something that you're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Um, and if you don't know, if you haven't been, uh, I'm hoping, you know, with college kids nowadays, you know, you've gone to college, you've got your experience, you know, that's kind of your learning curve um, for social life. So, you know, maybe it is, it's something you can, you know, do in, do in moderation. But I think that is, you know, the camaraderie of the guys going out after a game, having a couple of drinks at the bar yeah, or whatever, part playing pool. It's part of the game and it's really fun. And, 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 you know, it's something that I enjoyed. It's just something that you cannot let yourself get to caught up into especially in a city like Clearwater especially and like once you get to the big leagues you're playing in you know major metropolitan cities where you can you know you, you have the money to to do whatever you want to go be whoever you want to go to eat wherever drink wherever and um you know live that live that you know extravagant lifestyle yeah now as far as the distractions were did, did, did you get caught up in that at all um without you don't have to go too deep into it but yeah just... definitely i mean definitely you know early on when you're turning 21 in clearwater and you, you know you have you have been a small town guy who hasn't got to experience that you know it, it does kind of come at you fast and all of a sudden but, but again i had that realization with that you know you got to sit down early on and say i you know it's not fun coming in to the field to get these workouts in that are pretty hard when you're not feeling hundred percent when you've had some drinks the night before. So it's really that balance of trying to, um, you know, know when to have fun and know when it's time to be, you know, serious. And uh, Kevin was touching on the futures games that you were in two futures games. That's, that's doesn't happen. Um, so obviously you were, you're under, you're undershooting your talent level. I think you're very humble. That's part of your appeal. But uh, go back to the futures games. He was asking you kind of do a little round robin of guys that were there, and which who did you connect with? Anybody? Uh, anybody there you kind of connected with that nowadays is, is a big star in Major League Baseball, or even now? I was around. Um, gosh, we had Manny Machado was there, but he was on the other side. I, um, Bryce Harper, I think that's a pretty. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. name everybody would know. Mike Trout, I think's a name everybody would know. Um, Paul Goldschmidt. Um, was definitely someone that everybody would know. You know, I connected very well with Will Middlebrooks. I know there's probably a large number of the audience that knows him. Won a World Series with Boston. Um, we actually played against. Yeah, we played against each other often. He was from Texarkana, so we Texarkana and League City American Legion, which is where I played. We played each other in the state championship. I think for like seven years in a row, and. Um, the year I actually, my junior year would have been his senior year. Their um, American Legion team consisted of Michael Waka, Will Middlebrooks, uh, Zach Fowler, and ended up going to pitch at Oklahoma, I think. But they just had a, a very, very good team. But anyways, at the Futures game, me and him, um, we hit it off, you know, being Texas guys and having played against each other, kind of sharing that story. Um, that was pretty cool. But just th those names at the Futures game, again, it was one of those things where I I didn't really – get to take it in like I wanted to, but, you know, looking back at who I was around and who, you know, I got to talk to and, and shag BP with, you know, it was, it's pretty crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a who's who in uh, talent. So that was your class right there, the Machados, the Trouts, the Harpers, the Goldschmidts. Those are uh, those are that's a fantastic crop of players to be in. So that lets our audience know just what kind of prospect uh, you were coming in. in. In regards to stuff away from the field now, kind of going back to that, and I know we, we chatted about this, and, and you you go you can go as deep as you want into it, and it, and if it's something we don't want to touch on, that's fine as well. But you and I spoke off there a little bit about other things that kind of touch on baseball, and we see this, you know, baseball frowned upon. Now it's prevalent in our game, and that's gambling. Yes. You know, we see it behind home plate. We see daily fantasy. We see all that stuff. Can you can you touch on that aspect of the game? You know, as it's kind of permeated the baseball, and then and then how it maybe affected you a little bit. I mean, I don't even think it's baseball. I think it's just nation. I mean, everything now has become about about gambling. You drive everywhere. There's an advertisement for it. There's there's a line popping up on the screen. I mean, I was. I think it really all set in for me when you know you're watching Sports Center, and the bottom line has these numbers. And you know, that was years ago. And I'm like, I don't know what's like. What is going on? Basically, um, now everything's turned into it, and. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, in the clubhouses. It, it's uh, I mean, everyone. I, I, I mean, I don't say everyone. That's but I mean, you would say ninety five percent. I mean, you got March Madness pools. You got you know dice. You got cards. You got everything going on in in locker rooms in clubhouses. So it just kind of becomes, um, I don't know. It kind of becomes second nature, and you and you don't really think of it. You're making all this money. And and usually the gambling that's going on in the clubhouse isn't any. It's not crazy. I mean, you have some some veteran guys that have made you know hundreds of millions of dollars that you know you don't even go sit at their table. You're not even allowed to sit at their table. But you know, for the most part, you know, hundred bucks here, hundred bucks there, playing cards. Everyone's having a good time. Um, but yeah, then you you start like, oh, I can I can bet on you know I can bet on basketball. I can bet on this. Oh, I have a pretty good idea of sports. So then it basically starts becoming you know, a part of your lifestyle. And that's kind of what happened with me. And then I ended up making a tweet that was supposed to be a direct message, but um, it ended up going out there and into the Twitter world. And yeah, it, it turned into a big, big, big ordeal. It really was, it really was nothing. I had, uh, um, I asked for some advice about some NCAA tournament games. I mean, we had March Madness pools. We had all kinds of bracket stuff going on in the clubhouse. And um, I had come across a guy on Twitter that was making some pretty good picks. So, um, but for whatever reason, I put out a public tweet about gambling and all of a sudden it was automatically assumed that I had bet on baseball. So that was a two week process of everyone going through my phones, computers, you name it, um, to make sure I didn't bet on baseball, which I did not. I was, I'd like to think I was more intelligent than that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I had at the time I was, you know, had all kinds of clubhouse clubhouse bets going on. I had made bets with illegal bookmakers, um, you know, but again, it just had become a, you know, a, a way of life, kind of uh, another, you know, competitive thing outside of baseball, which is, is horrible. It's a horrible habit. Uh, I don't recommend it to, to anybody. I mean, I always say now, heck, if you're, I mean, if you're going to, if you want to do it, just try to limit it to when you, you know, go out to Vegas with your friends, go to Atlantic city, do something like that. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's bad overall, but I think history has shown in the long run, everybody loses. Yeah. And it's just so our audience understands, like that's a part of the clubhouse, you know, people are playing cards, uh, you know, that's, it's a competitive environment and it's just part of a Monday, you know, there. So, um, and, and NCAA tournament pools, those are things that we all do. You know, those are things yeah, that every every office does. So um, I, I appreciate the way you articulated that. And it's a good, it's, it's another good message to, to young players going in 18, 19 years old. They're just trying to fit in socially. They're trying to hang with their teammates. They're trying to, when it's seen as normal, it's just done. So I think yeah, that I think, well, well. I think that's my biggest thing um, for any kid that's getting into baseball between 18 to whatever it is. I'm not sitting, I'm not like, I'm not your parents, no, but I'm not your owner. Um, I'm not telling you what to do by all means. You know, if you want to experience it for yourself, go ahead. It's, it's going to be fun. You're going to get a rush out of it. You're probably going to enjoy it. But I guess my thing is just trying to be a mentor, trying to be a guide. Do not let yourself get caught up into it because it will affect you way more than you think. 
I know at a young age, everybody thinks they're invincible. I did too. You know, I could go out and we could all get drunk and have a good time and I'm going to recover just fine because, you know, I'm 21 years old, the body, you know, the body recovers, um, you know, I'm going to be able to go about my business. It doesn't affect you maybe in the immediate because you are a superior athlete. You are, you know, able to recover, you are able to do all these things, but you know, you look three, four, five years down the road when, you know, you have an injury that you sustain and you are thinking, well, I went through the same workout process. I'm doing all my stuff. Why did I get hurt easier this year? Just those little things that you're incapable of thinking about when you're 18, 19 and 20. I mean, I know I was, so I I can guarantee you there's others out there that have been in that situation where you feel that, that feeling of being invincible. You feel that, um, I can do whatever. I'm still performing well. Um, it's, you know, hear it from somebody else, guys. I know you don't want to hear that from your coaches and your mom and dad that are all just trying to help you because they care about you. Um, it's, it's probably hard to take it in from those guys, but hear it from someone that's experienced it at a personal level and then done it at the highest level. It's not, it's definitely not worth it over the, the course of your career. Yeah. And we, we still have Kevin with us. We're having a audio problem with him speaking, but he's, he's with us in here and he's texting me as you're talking. You want to let me know that in 1988, he won the March Madness pool in the Padres clubhouse. So but he, uh, just kind of to our audience too, that, that, well, first of all, people who know Kevin know, he just doesn't know baseball. He knows, he knows all sports, but his message too, and it kind of gives an idea that gave him instant credibility in the clubhouse when he did that. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a camaraderie thing. It's a, you know, it's seen as obviously negative, but I, th- I wanted to share that story. And I'm glad Kevin hit me with that because I've heard him tell it before, but uh, you know, that type of stuff is how people bond. It's things they bond through in the clubhouse. So um, yeah, and, it, and it's a great, and it, it, it is good a part of the game. And, and I, like I said, I'm, I miss, that's one of the things I miss about, you know, the locker room is just being able to, you know, sit there and watch a March Madness game with the guys after a, a hard day at spring training. And, you know, you just talk about another sport, you, you watch basketball and you, you know, you got a, you got a couple bucks on the line, but again, for the long term, it's just, you don't, you know, you don't want it to turn into addiction. And I know there's a lot of people that can do it in moderation. There are some people that can't. So I think a lot of that comes down to the, you know, the person that's doing it. But I think it's better, you know, from an overall standpoint to to try to steer clear of it because, you know, you don't ever want it to turn into something that it doesn't need to be. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a great message. And, you know, for for our audience here, sh- share a little bit about <laughs> – what you think you could do because you obviously have you've had a ton of experiences positive and negative you're self-aware enough to identify which is which and adjustments you would have made what kind of role could you play for a major league club right now i think a little bit of everything i mean i go into uh you know on the side over here i'm coaching you know i'm giving pitching lessons um and i think that's kind of what has um, got me a huge audience in this the Houston area is because I think the parents can see, you know, whether I have some high school kids, some college kids, some some ten year old kids, so all levels. Um, it's not just about the mechanics because every every pitching coach, well, I would like to think every pitching coach at the major league level can tell you, you know, what happens if you throw, you know, a fastball that sails on your arm side and almost hits the guy, or if you have a problem cutting the ball or all that. I, I don't think that's you know, I don't think that impresses people anymore. Um, but I think being able to, 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 you know, interact with these players, whether it be minor leagues or major leagues, you know, from a standpoint of I, I did it at the highest level. I was a high level prospect. I had, you know, two very, very good elite level stuff pitches. Plus I had, you know, the gambling issues off the field. I had, you know, other things that I've gone through. I've had the injuries. I've, I've dealt with vertigo. I've dealt with you know, two elbows, three elbow surgeries. I've dealt with hamstring strands. I've dealt with all these things basically that I could be a guy that somebody can come to, you know, and feel comfortable with talking about any of the three. And I know, you know, major league baseball teams have EAPs, they have mental skills coaches, they have all these people that, um, you know, they want you to talk to, but I mean, I can tell people from personal experience, I will leave names and organizations out of it, but I spoke directly with an EAP and I spoke directly with a mental skills professional that, you know, told me everything was confidential and I can guarantee you that it was not. I found out down the road um, that confidentiality had been breached. And I think that's a thing that um, 
players need to be made aware of. Um, you are getting paid by this organization. So no matter what they tell you, they want to know everything about you. And I can promise you that if I came on uh, that role with any organization that I would get fired or whatever that, you know, end result would be before I would ever put myself in that situation to um, give out confidential information. Yeah, you, you, uh, you led into my next question. That's what I was going to ask you. Um, who do you talk to and, and how safe is that? So um, I appreciate I mean, that honesty. A hundred percent. I don't. I don't think anyone's safe at the the major league level, and I don't think anyone's safe in any sport because, and, and you know, I'm not justifying anything these teams do, but they are paying some of these guys millions and millions of dollars, so they want to know, like, well, hell, does this guy have a, a crazy problem that we need to get rid of him before it's too late kind of situation? Um, but again, you you can't be, you know, putting people's personal information out there, especially when you've promised them confidentiality. Um, as far as who to talk to, that's tough. Um, I would say this someone you're the most comfortable with, someone you trust. Um, that's that's what it comes down to. And I know that looks different for a lot of different people. Um, you know, a lot of people once you get, you know, into your twenties and past college, you you don't want to be running to mom and dad. Um, you don't want to be running to, you know, the wife or the girlfriend. You know, a lot of that is because I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be this, I don't want to be that. And obviously that's why I'm saying, you know, it's got to be something you trust, someone that you feel that 100% um, comfort with. And I uh, I feel like if I were involved with a team, you know, I could create that relationship with players. I think that's what I would be good at. Um, I think that's how I could excel. And uh, I think my actually, you know, I, I don't have a degree, but I think that's what would be my first. I would be more of like the guy that, you know, someone needs to lean on, but can also feel like a teammate that's not a teammate as such. Um, and then if there is a question about pitching, you know, I can also, well, hey, here's what I'm thinking mechanic, mechanically that's going on, you know, but uh, there's so many moments in my career that I look back and it had nothing to do with mechanics. You know, I think a lot of times these guys will go through ruts at the major league level or even the upper minors. And, you know, nowadays it's even worse because they're throwing these freaking cameras at you from all angles. Um, trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with, with the mechanics. Yeah. Rarely. It's a, once you get to that level, everybody's pretty sound. It has a lot to do with what's between the ears and how you're, you know, self-talk go back to Kevin's article this past week and great article on arrows out with, with your perspective on what you've gone through, what you're seeing now, what, what talk, talk to us about the state of the game. What's your thoughts on the state of the game? take it any direction you want. I think, I mean, the talent, the talent is just, it's, it's insane right now. I thought it was insane when I played, but you know, from a pitching standpoint, it's, I just, it's like everyone makes it look too easy. It, it, like it's, uh, it's 97, it's a hundred, it's 95 every, you know, every pitch almost. It, it's, it's crazy. Um, the one thing kind of you touched on earlier that I don't, you know, love is, you know, the starting pitchers are, you know, kind of fading out per se. Um, I, you know, I get it I, I, with, all, I get it, but I don't get it with all the analytics and stuff. You want to bring in the guy with the, the best chance of getting these guys out, the numbers, we're throwing all the others, you know, the feel and stuff out of the wind, out the window. So that's something I can kind of see that I, I, I don't love. Um, but other than that, I, you know, I think the game itself is in an okay place. Oh, well, how can I forget? Trying to speed the game up was something that really made me angry. You know, I don't, I don't really understand. I mean, I understand it from a general fan perspective, like someone that doesn't go to many baseball games. But sometimes the beauty of a baseball game are those five-hour ones. <laughs> you know, they can be tough to watch. But, you know, being someone that played it and someone that's watched it for a long time, I feel like some, that's just part of the pastime, you know, and I, and I hate this, you know, runner starting on second, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not a fan of it personally, and I don't speak for everybody, but um, I like the old way better. I, I, I was a, much more of a fan of the old way. Like if you don't, you know, you're, you're free to leave the game at any time. You know, I know beer, beer sales stop in the seventh anyway. So, you know, <laughs> um, I, I want to see a game get played out you know, all the way through. 
I, I know in theory what they're trying to do, but I'm much more a fan in that regard of the old of the old school way. Yeah, I think uh, some some of the people have liked the pitch clock. I get mad when they have to legislate something that should be, you know, a natural course of baseball. And uh, yeah, Kevin had asked that question. He was he wanted to know your thoughts on state of the game. He always Kevin always asks one question. He's asked me to ask it for him today as we deal with some uh, some technical issues, but he can hear the answer here. But at the end of every show, he always asks uh, our guests, and it's a simple question in, in you know the way we ask it, but it's a pretty deep question. You can take it any direction you want. What does it mean to you to be a ball player? Oh man, um, that is a tough question. For me, it meant every, I mean, it, it meant everything for me to be able to put on a major league uniform, uh, to be able to put on a minor league uniform, to be able to put on a high school uniform. Um, I think you know, love of the game is a real thing, and it's a question that every athlete on every single level needs to ask themselves do you really love this game? And that is also a deep question and a question that people can take however they want. Because my number one thing is if you don't, you will get chewed up and spit out by this game. There's no other way to draw it up. But, you know, being a ball player to me is something that, you know, I will forever cherish. I dedicated, you know, hours and hours and hours of my life, both on and off the field to the game. Um, obviously you have a lot of people to thank my parents, my brothers, all the people that supported me along the way and those that truly cared. So I think that's another thing that makes, you know, being a ball player special is those people that helped you get to the level that you, you know, you got to and that level that you wanted to get to. Um, I could not have done it without the help of them and numerous people along the way. There's too many people to thank, but to that same question, it's interesting. Um, I was carrying the identity of being a ball player for a long time. And I realized that there's so much more to life than just being a ball player. So I think that's something that everyone really needs to to understand is that you put on that uniform every day. It's a blessing. You never know when that game's going to be taken away from you. You never know when that game's going to end. So cherish every single, whether you're in high school, college, minor leagues, major leagues, I never could have guessed my career was going to end the way it did or how it did. So I know that's an old cliche saying, but um, that needs to be taken to heart because, um, you know, being a ball player is a short period of your life. Even if you make it 20 years, um, you're going to be a dad, you're going to be a brother, you're going to be, you know, you know, a mentor for hopefully a lot longer. Um, if, even if you make it to life expectancy for a lot longer than you will be a ball player. So don't let that ball player, you know, slogan or logo, you know, overtake your identity. You're much more than that. You know, you're a human being. Um, you're a friend, you're, you're a brother, you're a mentor, you're a dad, you know, there's, there's many other things. So being a ball player was everything to me, but sometimes it was too much of everything to me. And I got lost in those other things that you, you know, you need, um, in order to stay sane in the life of a ball player. Well, if, if the front office people listening to this don't uh, pop on the phone and get a hold of you to help out their ball club, my opinion, I don't think you need a ball club to start doing what you want to do. I think a lot of people would uh, would love to have you help them. And you talk to me off there. I'll, I'll help get you going because I think you got a business right here to do it. There's there's no question in my mind. So, But, Jared, thanks so much. I mean, I was going to ask you what, what parting shot you wanted to leave the audience with, but I think that's a perfect way to tie it up, how you did it. We've kept you for close to an hour again uh, today. Uh, thank you so much uh, for for gracing us with your presence for a second time. And you can see Kevin's note to you in, in the in the uh, the side note. There it was a great job, Jared. Phenomenal real baseball and life perspective. I'm with you on the fake runner and these speeding up game rules. Let the game be the game. Great answer on being a ball player. Thanks so much. So that's great. I mean, Kevin's the real deal. That's that's a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. So. Um, when in doubt, you got that. Screenshot that for yourself. Uh, <laughs> believes in you. Every anytime he compliments me, I do the same thing. It means the world to me too. But um, so with that, just uh, thank to our audience your support. Eighteen thousand six hundred plus subscribers. This is episode one ninety eight. I'm Real Voices of the Game. This is Coach and Kern and our flagship show. Just make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We can keep providing you great content if you do so, and we keep battle the, the analytics of the podcast world like we do in baseball. You can catch this show, like all our shows, on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
or and Twitter, I should say. Uh, please follow Kevin on all those mediums as well and catch him on Ball 9. Support our brothers over there at Ball 9. 72 countries, grassroots to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ. And as I tell everybody, at the end of every show, I love it when I get smarter. And I got smarter again today, Jared. Thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate you being here for us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate no, it. No worries. And I'm serious about that business. You got to start that business. It's going to help a lot of people out. It's going to help a lot of ball players out. And um, if you don't call me, I'm calling you to get it going. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, good deal. And with that, Real Voices of the Game, uh, I want to thank our audience again, and we're out of here.